to awaken, to wake up. <laughs> and this, of course, is bringing you to trust, the sense of trust. Uh, there's words like trust or faith, um, confidence, uh, the, this comes through understanding, through investigation. So like, see, this retreat is an opportunity to investigate experience. Not analyze, it's an, an intellectual exercise to analyze and figure out why why you feel like this or whatever. It's not in terms of a self and a, and a thinking process. But it's using awareness or and wisdom and consciousness together to explore and investigate. This is what was so attractive, I think, to many of us uh, Western people who discovered Buddhism was that uh, this was an irresistible invitation. <laughs> Usually, you know, religions b based on believing in things and believing when I use this word believing it's like you believe or disbelieve you know the scriptures or the what the teacher says or um, so forth so you you can believe uh, and just trust in in what the teacher says and believe it or or what the scripture says <coughs> But then those of us that can't do that uh, need to do it a different way. So, and this is this is the the uh, why Buddhism is, uh, even though a very ancient teaching is uh, has, is very modern. Really, is very you know reaching countries like this one where they before it had hardly any there was hardly any interest or understanding in anything Buddhist, not, not to mention anybody practicing it or becoming a monk or a nun. Remember even in Thailand before I ordained teaching at uh, University, Thomasat University in Bangkok, and my students, and when I told them I was going to become a monk, they thought, why do you want to do that? Because even for them, it was like you know something, kind of part of Thai tradition that you, you maybe go to the Wat or the temple when you're old to make lots of merit before you die. <laughs> but also in in the West, people wonder why you know why we want to make ourselves look like this and, and uh, follow an Asian religion and those kinds of doubts and curiosity about it but the Buddhist teaching isn't, isn't you know it's, it's pointing to the way things are so it's not a cultural teaching it's not about Asia or ancient India or anything like that it's, it's about 
being human, about feeling, about suffering, and realizing, investigating experience to to realize the Dhamma, the true nature of things, the way it really is, rather than the way we've been told or think or assume it is. So pointing to the conditioned world, as I've been doing, what you see, uh, you know, you can, your eyes look in, you can see forms and colors, shapes, and here we hear sounds and smell, uh, odors and tastes, different uh, seasonings, different tastes, and feel pleasure and pain through the body. Uh, we experience the conditioned realm the sensory realm, through the senses. And so, seeing your your own body, this body here, is a sensitive form, rather than just assuming it's you and, and, and just, you know, never questioning your even your own physical reality. You know, m- most people hardly question, you know, they they don't really contemplate being having a human body, they react to it, they identify with it, they want to, you know, improve it, uh, um, make it more beautiful, stronger, healthier, or want to kill it off sometimes. Sometimes we can't stand our bodies, so we like to uh, get rid of them. (coughs) Because the body is it is a sensitive form, so it, you know, it's, uh, this is no guarantee that it's going to be a pleasurable experience, as you all know. So the the sense world, uh, I keep reinforcing this, noticing the sense world is like this, and the and this is, uh, contemplating the the pace and garanich, all conditions are impermanent, observing. Everything's changing. You can't to to sustain a thought. You can't. A thought moves very quickly, doesn't it? Thought is a very rapid movement in consciousness. Uh, emotion is 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 a, is a feeling that, that can tends to linger. Of strong emotions, you feel angry. The thoughts of anger move very quickly, but the the actual uh, emotion, the energetic reaction, can linger and hang around you. So unless you observe this, you know, then we, when we, when we get angry, we start thinking uh, angry thoughts, and then we increase the anger, and we, um, we can make ourselves so angry we'll do something terrible, commit murder or something like that, because. Just by, we we can, uh, you know, keep fueling this this anger, this anger. But if we stop thinking about it and just observe the the feeling of anger, the mood of anger is like this. <laughs> so you, when we talk about jitanupasana, the the of the four foundations of mindfulness, the third one is jitanupasana, noticing the the jitta or the mental state is like this. So I began to notice when, when, when anger would arise, just not think about it or, or believe in, in, in it, you know, and get carried away like I, I would if I didn't know this. But observe the, the, the feeling in the body, the, the, uh, that which lingers and hangs around, you know. Because it, it you know that's the way it is. It, it it doesn't, or a thought, an angry thought goes by quickly. <laughs> but the the emotion that uh, that is aroused can linger, and if we aren't aware of that, then we tend to to uh, think it. You know, we either indulge our anger and just wind ourselves up and get more and more angry, or we try to suppress it, uh, distract ourselves, or dismiss it. So that's where, you know, in, in emotional experience, uh, you know, observe, uh, go to the body more, especially in the 
stronger emotions, with uh, sleepiness or dullness, uh, the, like the five uh, nivaranas. Uh, the first two are quite energizing, isn't it? The lust and anger. These are exciting. You know, you m- make you feel alive. So many people's lives are, you know, based on uh, sexual uh, desire and anger and indignation. So we were talking about this this morning at breakfast in the hotel. Indignation, righteous indignation is a very energizing emotion. And there's plenty to be indignant about, isn't it? Especially if you're an American. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, and it's a righteous kind of feeling, you know, but it's also very, makes you feel very alive. You know, hold your fist up like this, and we must stop this behavior immediately. Um, Feel really alive, you know. So how many people's lives are, you know, the the only way to feel alive is to have causes to fight for, or just seeking uh, sensual pleasure, exciting experiences, adventures and romance and things like this. It's this this creates a sense of being alive, having a purpose. And then when we don't, when there's nothing, no romance, no excitement, no adventure, no rage, no indignation, what's there to live for? <laughs> you know, they, and that's the third... Nivarana, tinamita, which means uh, sleepiness or dullness, <laughs> mental dullness, emotional dullness. So you just get, you know, you, you know, when you when you're practicing here, you find yourself getting very dull, because uh, after you know the first two nivaranas have passed you by, <laughs> and then emotionally you're just dull. And you think there's something wrong. Because we, you know, we tend to want purpose, meaning, and and have, a, you know, life that is interesting, and and uh, these kind of ideals that, that give it a, you know, make us feel worthwhile and, and give us energy. But when these things are gone, then we can, you know, then we've got all these distractions. We can have... Uh, the soap operas, the the thrillers, the horror shows, the the musicals, the rock concerts, uh, all that kind of things. You know, it's a way of uh, exciting, getting interested in something that kind of holds you and excites you. <coughs> so that's why in this retreat, we know we're not. We're not seeking those kind of distractions, entertainment, uh, and, and that which which w- we would excite and stimulate us. Because we also need to have very boring retreats so we can look at dullness, <laughs> <laughs> boredom. So, you know, if you feel bored, that's that's something to look at. That's because you know one isn't maybe. You've spent much of your life trying to be interested, have fascinating, interesting hobbies or relationships or professional life. So this this third nivarana, how do you deal with it? And and of course, I think m- most of us, when we start out, we we resist it. You know, we like when I first started practicing meditation, I get into this dull state and I just will myself, you know, like try to force it, to, you know, try to suppress it, to get rid of it. And there's a lot of aversion to it. You know, so you fight against it, you know, you got to get yourself 
And then we'd have these all-night sittings on the moon lunar days at Watpapo. You have to sit up all night. And uh, and then then in the and then you're sitting there, and you can only apply willful energy for a while. You know, you can't you can't sustain it. So there's kind of willful pushing and forcing and making yourself. After a while, especially around midnight, you just <laughs> 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 so you, you go outside and do some fast walking or jumping up and down and <laughs> kind of get the energy moving. But there's still notice there's aversion to this this state. We don't like it. <coughs> so, but this also needs to be investigated. It's a navarana, so it's, it's, it's so we're turning the light of sati, satipanya onto it. It's like this. Uh, you know, this is where you need to trust this, this intuitive satisampatanya. So you, instead of just trying to, to get rid of it <coughs> and react to it, or just follow it and go to and crash out, you can investigate, not analyze it in terms of, you know, a, a thinking mind, but noticing that it's like this, feeling dull, sleepy, bored, is like this. And then notice around the eyes or just go to the body and just notice what, uh, just uh, uh, use the body and the, just the, the kind of feeling, the mood you're in, of, and and the kind of aversion, wanting to wanting it to go away, wanting to get rid of it as quickly as possible. And so this is this is I found an effective way of, of uh, because these of of learning, understanding this this particular experience. Then the then the other two there's five nivaranas and are utacha kokucha which is restlessness and worry so that's another state we don't like it's not exciting to be just restless and worried and anxious about things and caught in this kind of anxiety and you know that that kind of nebulous anxiety that can hang around one's mind. And so there's also wanting to, you know, just, just suppress it or get rid of it. But it needs to be recognized. It's like this. This is a restless realm we live in, isn't it? It's changing. Your body's a restless form. This nature is not to be tranquil. In that it, it has energies it's subjected to Irritations and stimulation all the time. And then uh, the the last one is Wichikita, which means doubt. And this is thinking. When you think and try to figure it all out, you'll end up doubting. Like trying to understand the deathless, the unconditioned, Nibbana. Think about it. Anatta, no self. What does it mean? Is there Nibbana or not? Uh, what happens to a Buddhist when they die? Do you believe in reincarnation? Um, what uh, is it possible for, for somebody like me to realize Nibbana? To attain, this is the highest attainment. And so that when we when we try to think about the deathless nibbana emptiness, when you think about emptiness, you think of annihilation. At least I do. <laughs> they, we're moving towards. I remember when I first studied Theravada Buddhism, they explained nibbana is extinction. So that sounds that sounds annihilationist to me. I'm sitting here practicing to be extinguish myself. 
Why don't you just cut your throat and get it over with? Then on the thinking level, you know, we can say, you know, we can we can analyze, you know, the different qualities which is better uh, of the conditioned realm. You know, this is a higher level than this. There's low level, high level. This is a a, a skillful thing to do. This is unskillful. This is right, wrong. <coughs> you should do this and think like this. And you shouldn't think like that. You should be kind and generous, not mean and selfish. Uh, things should be, you know, the, uh, on the positive side. When you think of, we want the world to be happy and good and beautiful and harmonious. We want world peace. These are all very desirable ideals. And we don't want war and violence and uh, confusion, disharmony. So this is the thinking mind, isn't it? How do we get rid of, of world uh, wars? How, do, how, how can we conquer wars? How can we wage war against war? <laughs> and can we kill off the evil forces? You know, we just get rid of them, like, like rent a kill. <laughs> you know, if you've got a pest in your house, you, you call this company called rent a kill, and they come and kill everything. <laughs> now, the conditioned world, that's why in, in investigating the conditioned phenomena, it's it's not judging it, you know, saying, uh, but but recognizing, realizing conditions are like this. There's refined ones, you know, beautiful, lofty, refined, and they, they follow, you know, down to absolutely hell, absolute hell, Avicii hell, unmitigated misery and pain forever. And that's about as horrible as you can think, isn't it? You know, hell, there are different levels of hell where there you have mitigations where it isn't quite so bad. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> but Avicii hell is where it's continuously horrible, the most horrible forever and all the time. Now that that's another ideal, isn't it? an idea that you create of, of the most undesirable frightening condition you can think of is a VT hell. And then the most beautiful condition is heaven, you know. The highest heaven where you live in, with just beauty and happiness and security and love. And everything is the way it should be. That's the highest condition. So this is this is what thinking does. You know, it creates the from you know the the top to the bottom, and then the gradations of of uh, that that in between those two extremes. So this is and and thinking is like this. You know, it, its function is to discriminate. And there's nothing wrong with thinking. I'm not trying to annihilate thi the thinking process. But put it in its proper position in our lives so we're not obsessed and victims of our own thoughts. Because we do. We get obsessed with our thoughts and our ideas and our fears. Our, our, and, and then we, we, can't, we don't know how to get out of it. We're just uh, you know, obsessed with our thoughts and views. So what we're doing is, is learning to understand what thinking is and how to use thinking because thinking is a is a wonderful tool to use. It's part of our human karma. We're thinking creatures. So it's, it's 
putting it in its proper place. Because if we don't do that, then we, we are victims of our own thoughts. And we can create a Vichy hell. You know, people think into the lowest realms of unmitigated misery sometimes, you know, and they're just totally lost. In But it's all about thinking and believing in the thoughts. So, and once you... You know, if they stop doing that, if they want to release themselves from that obsession, then they're, they're out of it. But if you believe, you know, really convince yourself that you're absolutely hopeless and the world is no good and life is miserable and there's not an honest person on the planet, everybody's self-centered and and look after yourself and there's no meaning to life. It's all horrible, wretched experience, and you believe this. You know, you're naturally creating hell. That's a hell realm. But you, you're creating it. So you don't have to say, Is there, do you believe in heaven and hell? You know, I know heaven and hell. And I know how to create heaven and hell. <laughs> And it's through thinking. So then, um, then the, we talk about the the deathless and the unconditioned or non-conditioned, or the you know like forms and uh, and that the conditioned realm is all much more. We're familiar with that and we're identified with it. The unconditioned. Or the non-condition is real, but we don't notice it. So say, for example, <coughs> just using space, you know, we're, we're sitting here in space, but we may not pay attention to it. So we, we, we're more aware of the shrine and of the nuns sitting over here and the monks there and me here and <coughs> the shape of the room and so forth. And this, these are the forms. The space isn't isn't uh, subtle or you know difficult, but it's just not recognized, taken for granted. Once I point out space, then you start looking, noticing. To observe space, you you know you're no longer looking, putting your attention onto the things in the in the space. You don't have to get rid of everything to see space, just see space because it, you're in it, it's here. Space has no boundary, does it? It goes on and on and on. So then you're, you're actually acknowledging unlimited, some, that which is, isn't bound by form. So it's, it's you know, and, and language Thought always is about form. Language itself is a form. <coughs> so that's where uh, to let go of the language and the thinking process. So you just use uh, the English word space, not as a, not as to cling to the word itself, just merely a reminder, and you uh, awaken to it. It's here and now. Everywhere, all around you. Always has been. So it's and when you then you have perspective on the forms that you're not just caught in a in an obsession with the forms in the space, but you have a way of letting go of the forms to be in to be the space itself. Now that's on a visual level, just exploring the relationship of form to space. Then say consciousness. Now consciousness is operating continuously. So it's it's not, you know, when you're there's sleep consciousness. There's still consciousness when you sleep. And dream consciousness and waking consciousness. These are just ways of talking about. But consciousness has no boundary. So. 
So it, 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 you know, it has no limitation on it. But then you put the limitations into it. So your thoughts, your emotions, identity with your body, uh, your memories, these are, these are what, you know, when we're caught, when we're attached to the forms or to the thoughts or the mental states, then, uh, then it's like being obsessed with the forms in space. We don't notice space. We have no escape from the forms. We just go from one thing to another and repeat the, the, this, this cycle of going from one thing to another endlessly. But when you recognize space, you have a way out of letting, you're letting go of the forms in it. Not annihilating them, but just not, not putting your attention onto it, not grasping them. And then space has no, it's not red or blue, it's not male or female, it's not beautiful or ugly, it's not good or bad, it is, it's boundless. Where does it end? You know, in terms of experience now, you say, well, the room, the walls, but the, but this building is in the space too, isn't it? Because space doesn't, isn't, isn't contained within this, within the four walls of this room. So this is like reflecting. Uh, this is real, you know, this is just noticing the way it is. Consciousness is like this, it has no boundary. So we don't notice because we're, we're so, so we're bound into the conditions of our mind, our habits. <coughs> and when we begin to let go of the habits to just be aware of con as consciousness is like this, You know, I stop thinking, stop following my thoughts and 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 uh, trying to control my emotions and all the rest. I stop doing, you know, holding on to the to the mental states and there's consciousness. Now, when I do this, then I, you know, I begin to notice this uh, what I call the what some people call the sound stream or the sound of silence. Like a vibratory, flowing <coughs> sound stream as a background. It seems to have no limit, no boundary to it. And then, the, the, then the the thinking process stops, and the, you have if you, the emotional uh, because thought moves very quickly. So, but you break the the thinking habit of going from one thought to the next. So thinking stops, then there's the emotional, maybe your, your you know, emotional feeling that lingers, hanging around, but you're aware of it as an object. You're not just caught in reacting and, and following it or suppressing, but being patient with it. It's because you've got a refuge outside it. Your refuge is in your consciousness, with awareness, with wisdom. Now, we're conscious even when we're totally mad. So, I mean, that's one thing, isn't it? You, you can, you know, our consciousness is, uh, is, is a natural state, natural condition, and it's not even a condition, or it's not even a state. It is, in other words. Uh, but if we put all kinds of mad, crazy thoughts into it and, and and erratic emotions and believe in it and just get scrambled into this this um, this mass of confusion, then then we you know we call it it's gone mad, crazy. So in ter in terms of letting go of the conditions, you know, both the sensible, reasonable thinking mind, the logical, uh, common sense thinking mind, then the mad mind, then the emotional world, doesn't mean we're, we're suppressing anything, we're, we're releasing our hold on these conditions in order to realize this. 
recognize there. So it's a, you know it's it's like it's a, it's a, it's real. It's not not a, a an illusory state that I'm talking about. It's reality. So in in the context of the Four Noble Truths, this is like insight into cessation of conditions. When you allow conditions to be what they are in your experience in consciousness, you're not trying to. Uh, grasp them or reject them, but let them be what they are. They their natures to cease. And if you're patient, you begin to to realize when you let everything go, then there's the everything the conditions cease, and there's this. But you you're still conscious. It's not annihilation, in other words. You don't have to cut your throat or you know, go on to unconscious state. Consciousness is still operating, but is is non attachment. So it's like space and consciousness. Now this this relationship of the with the no unconditioned and the conditioned, the Buddha we said that there is the unconditioned. And if there now what now try to imagine the unconditioned. Can you can you get anywhere with that with your thinking mind? The unconditioned. I can't, you know, it's just it's an abstract word. The negative of a condition. A condition you can see, you know, there this is a condition, this is a condition, this is a condition, this is a condition. <laughs> You know, everywhere. You know, so that's no problem. Because it was the unconditioned. Mind goes blank, doesn't it? My mind. I think I can't. I can't imagine it. And that's the point. It stops the thinking mind. The thinking mind is conditioning itself. That's why you can't realize the unconditioned through thought. Or analysis, or reason, or logic. So you you recognize the limitation of conditioned phenomena. There is an escape from the conditioned because there is the unconditioned. Now, if we don't know or don't recognize the unconditioned, then there is no escape from the conditioned. It's called samsara. We're caught in this cycle. We just repeat. You know, the we develop habits. And we just keep repeating, reacting in the same old ways till we drop dead. We're creatures of habit. And that's the conditioning and what is referred to in the scriptures as sangsara. So if you notice how, you know, thinking, one thought goes on to another thought. You start thinking about this and then your mind wanders off. Because that's how thinking operates. One thought, next thought. Thinking is a habit. So it goes on and on and on. And thinking about not thinking. You know, I used to, this, this dilemma of how do I stop thinking? And I thought, stop thinking. Well, how do you stop thinking? Just stop thinking. Well, how do you do that? Just do it. I'm still thinking all the time. So obviously, you know, one is one has to let go of thinking, not annihilate it. So there is the unconditioned. Therefore, there is an escape from the condition. Now that's that's quite a profound thing to say. That is, there is liberation. There is nibbana. There is the deathless. Now the deathless is another one, isn't it? What is that? That is it? Some kind of heavenly state where I'll be immortalized in my form? You know, like a I'll reach an immortal state, like the Greek gods. You know, or my soul. Well, my own personal soul. Well, 
will live forever. And this is the message I got through my Christian background was the soul theory, you know, that if you b follow every all of God's commands and be a good boy, then you go, your soul goes to heaven and it means that it's your unique soul. I don't lose my unique personal qualities. And and but I'll live with Jesus for eternity. <laughs> that's that's the that's the message that I picked up, and uh, that didn't sound very attractive to me. Actually, <laughs> some people find that very inspiring. Because, you know, there's what, like with anatta uh, or no self, it, you know, we, we can sound pretty hard line, you know, no soul, no God, and, you know, the hard line Buddhist approach is we don't believe in God and a soul and all that <laughs> rubbish. We're Buddhists. <laughs> and that, so that is, uh, that's a kind of hard line approach, you know, but it is, it's it's just denial, isn't it? It's not understanding anything. You just because you think you're a Buddhist, you 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 don't believe in those other things. So, but in terms of of investigating Dhamma or the way it is, then it's not a matter of of believing that there's a soul or no soul or there's a God or there isn't any. It's in observing the way it is. There's like it's awakened investigation, noticing, observing. And is it like Buddha knowing the Dhamma? So we aren't atheists, you know, and we're d d not denying God or anything or a soul. But we're we're recognizing the limitation of language itself and concepts. And words like God, God is a word, isn't it? It's a concept. And, and you know, but what, what is it, what does it really mean here and now? You know, we can just react to it and think, well, Buddhists, we don't believe in it. It's just, you know, not a problem for us. We're atheists. We don't believe in God. <laughs> You're still caught in the thinking process. So being denying is the same thing. You know, it gets you into the same, you got caught in the same cycle, really, only it's negative one. So then this is where, this is what, like mystical experience and mystics, you know, what they're doing is they're investigating the experience. And, and using these words may not for you know, holding to an idea of God and then trying to find God is to, uh, to, to, through an idea, but through relinquishing and letting go and observing, witnessing. Now, whether you want to call it God or not is, is a, depends on the religious convention that you're using. So it's not, you know, it's not, not for me to... I don't use the term because I'm a Buddhist. I use the Buddhist terms. <coughs> but they are only terms, terminologies. They're, they're, they're expedient means. They're helpful means if used properly. But, you know, in terms of, say, Christian, what is God right now? And then your mind is, well, he's up in heaven and or he's all around and Usually he, isn't it? <laughs> so then the gender problem arises. <laughs> and that, that's been questioned a lot in the past few years. <laughs> so uh, so that, that's the limitation of language, isn't it? The English language, you have, you know, you have he, she, or it, and the it isn't very respectful.
God is it. <laughs> so that's a that's a limitation of uh, English language in the way it's constructed. But you know, so that don't make a problem about that either. But in terms of of Dhamma, now we're using the Pali terms, using uh, Theravada Buddhism Pali terms, and so this is a this language. This is a a kind of language, skillful language that and terminologies that uh, we're not to believe in and just define according to what the Pali Dictionary says or what somebody else says, but they're to be re- recognized, you know. So they talk about, you know, when they when we talk about the unconditioned or the deathless, it's not a kind of metaphysical theory of Buddhism it's not not a theory but it's it's pointing these these words then are pointing at something right now here and now at that which is here and now and it's not something but it's real and so this is this is where the the letting go of the conditioned realm the thinking realm the emotional realm is not uh eradicating it but letting go just releasing your grip your obsessive grasping to the conditioned realm to observe and so it's like going into into the unknown like what you can know in terms of the conditions is you you know about this and this is good this is bad and this you can feel you can get a sense of security by knowing all about what what's right and wrong and what you should do and shouldn't do, but this is the unknown. You're going, you're you're letting go of the known into the unconditioned. To to recognize the unconditioned is this. So it is, it is uh, uh, to be realized. You have to recognize it. They say it's budgetang. To be realized by the wise, recognized through wisdom. So in in my own experience and recognizing this, and 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 in the this the natural state, recognition of it, there's no I'm not creating myself into it as a person or a soul. I don't create myself as a... I have a unique Ajahn Sumato soul that I'm trying to preserve and make immortal. I realize that's a convention, just the you know, conditions for, for that uh, thought arises. and that, But it's not, not, a, not something to, to grasp. It's conventional, it can be useful, but it's not an identity that one binds oneself to. No, like paying attention, listening, with, with the, the, the sense of listening, isn't it? It's hearing. You know, you can close your eyes. You can still hear. And you're not trying to hear, you know, focus on something, you know, on on the sound or the noise or the conversations or that, but just open to, in the sense of open, you know, opening in this wide, expansive listening. listening to the sounds of the universe. This is uh, the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like listening to the sounds of the universe. But it's not saying, oh, I like that sound, and that sound I like, and I don't like that one. <laughs> There's room for them all, you know, the cacophonous, the melodious. And the sound of the stream. 
like a stream. So, you know, when I talk about this, I know it is sometimes self-defeating because we immediately try to find something. We, we think the sound of silence is a mystical sound that that very advanced meditators can notice. And, uh, but I can't, I don't notice it at all. Cause I'm, I'm not a very good meditator. <laughs> and that's not what I'm after. You know, it's not, a, not an advancement, but this recognition. There's a, this attitude that I'm emphasizing of relaxed, open receptivity. where you're not busy doing something or having to control anything. So the sense of being at ease in this present moment, open, listening. Now when, now how to not make a big thing out of that either, you know, because we can create that into some kind of attainment. That's the missed point. It's just the way it is, like anything else. But it is a recognizable through this attitude of open receptivity. When you're trying to find it as something you've got to get to be a good meditator, you'll you'll miss the point. You know, there's it's uh, not something to to seek for or to identify with but to recognize now in terms of the unconditioned fits into that you know like this is I don't create it I'm not creating this but it's real it's reality I can forget it, I can get caught up with my thoughts and and go back into the conditioned realm. But once I've developed this confidence, then then I, I'll always know where my refuge is. So training yourself in this way, you, you always, you know, no matter how, uh, you know, the wars and quarrels and problems and difficulties, uh, physical, mental, emotional, social, national, international, and that uh, world goes on and it spins around and and the conditions go from heaven to hell and back and forth all the time. But this is the still, the still point. You know, it's the eye of the storm, the lotus blooming in the midst of the inferno. These are the metaphors. Or the still point you know, T.S. Eliot's poem, the quartet, the still point of the revolving world. And this is, this is how you can recognize it. It's this. It's, it's like, it's a stillness that, uh, that is natural, is you don't create, not dependent on everything being quiet and harmonious. So then, the the world revolves. You know, it, go, it does its thing. We live through our karma. We get praised and then blamed, and then we success and we fail, and we get old. We get sick. We die. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we have wonderful, happy adventures, and and we have terrible tragedies and grief and despair and so forth. But once recognized, and that's the refuge, the still, the the stillness that we that is real, that is that sustains itself, that isn't dependent on me creating it and upon conditions supporting it, is this to be recognized individually. You have to recognize it for yourself. I can't make you do it. If I could, I'd do it for you. It's <laughs> 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 not that I don't want to, it's just I can't. (laughs) 
Now then this is is insight into the path, or what we call path knowledge. Uh, so it's not really a path, that's another metaphor. Because <laughs> you're not going anywhere. <laughs> but but <laughs> the road to nowhere. <laughs> Sounds like a pop song, doesn't it? And then the this we say developing or cultivating bhavana. The Pali word bhavana really means this. Bhavana begins at this point of developing this. And it, it's empty and it's non-self. It's real. It's reality. And it and and you have to r- recognize it. It's just this. It's not that you don't have it, or it's it, it, you know it's far away. It's just not recognized, not noticed. So see, this retreat is beginning to notice. You know, pay attention. Sati sampachanya. And listening, and 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 not and. And whatever you know you're experiencing, pleasant or painful, or happiness or unhappiness or tranquility or total confusion, these none of these conditions are obstructions. If you know this, so that you, and and by cultivating this, remembering it. Like sati can also be kind of like remembering here and now, yes. Sound of silence, yes. Bhutto. These are words I've used, like Bhutto, the name of Buddha. It's a remind, it's a kind of trigger that reminds me. You know, suddenly get carried away with something, then Bhutto back here in the still point, and learning to trust it and rest in it, be this stillness itself, then we can, then the problems of the world, we can, we can do with those, we can respond. We have ability to, we're not going into a trance of nothingness and not noticing the world around us anymore. We're still going to feel everything, but we have a refuge. We're not lo- we're not caught in the in the whirling motion of samsara in the conditioned realm, just ter- terribly kind of worn out and burnt out by by all the demands and problems and difficulties of the world. So then, our relationship to the world is compassion, metta or loving-kindness, compassion, mudita, joy, upeka, equanimity. So it's not that, you know, somebody said the other day to me, well, you know, the Hindu lady, she said, I believe in the Bhagavad Gita. I can't be a Buddhist. Because I believe in action. (laughs) (laughs) And so I didn't say anything. (laughs) 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 If she wants to believe that, okay. But I mean, that's a that's a standard thing you get, isn't it, from the Hindus? We we believe in action, and Bhagavad Gita is, is acting in the world, and. Then they assume Buddhism is you just got sit there and you don't care what happens to the world. <laughs> to hell with the world. <laughs> 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 uh, it's not like that. And then you really look at the life of the Buddha. You know, we're still benefiting from his actions after his enlightenment. You know, he set forth the. Dharma, the wheel of Dharma, that's a way of saying, you know, he spent the rest of his life working very hard 
actively in the society out of compassion. So his first impulse was after his enlightenment in the in the story is this this is unteachable. What I have learned is you can't teach anybody. There's no point in even trying. And then he was convinced to go and at least try. <coughs> so then because of that, you know, then we we have the four noble truths. We have these these teachings that have been preserved through 2,550 years so that we're benefiting from them now. So that's a great, you know, that's very compassionate to to uh, have established something that can last for so long and still be as fresh and uncorrupted and useful as it is right now, that we're using it right now here in England. So I'll stop here.